Blog Talk Radio. at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I want to welcome the callers and chatters to research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. If you have logged in as a guest and you wish to participate in the chat, and I can see some of the chatters already, you can sign in through your Facebook account or Blog Talk Radio. I will also open the lines in the second half of the show so you can call in and ask a question or make a comment. And then following the show, you can continue this discussion on the AfroGenius.com and research at the National Archives and Beyond Facebook page. In fact, please like both pages. Also, if you want to receive notices about the show, just click the button and you will become a follower of research at the National Archives and beyond. Well, this is a special show today, and this show is featuring Dr. Morris Gleason. Dr. Morris Gleason gave a compelling presentation on Sunday at the Southern California Genealogy Jamboree, and many of you saw his presentation live by way of live stream, and now this presentation is on YouTube, and it's about Ireland and the slave trade. Now, Dr. Morris Gleason is a psychiatrist from Dublin who works in London as a pharmaceutical physician. He is an avid genealogist. I just love hearing what he's had to say about genealogy and has traced his Irish family tree back to about 1800 on half of his ancestral lines. Using DNA, he was able to get back into the 1600s on one line, and this inspired him so much with his interest in Ireland's involvement that he really started looking at the involvement with the transatlantic slave trade. So before he heads back to, to London, I just want everyone to have an opportunity to hear him again and to participate in the live chat. So let me give a warm welcome to Dr. Morris Glisson to research at the National Archives and Beyond. Welcome, Morris. Thank you very much, Bernice. You're very, very kind with that introduction. It is a pleasure to be talking to you today and to everybody listening. Um, I listened to your radio program in London, and I think it's absolutely fascinating. So it's a real privilege and pleasure for me to be here today. Well, thank you so much, and I'm glad you're listening to it in London. That's great. Just spread the word. Let everybody know that this show is broadcast all around the world. So Absolutely. why don't you just, yes, start us off by telling us how did you get interested in Ireland's involvement in the slave trade? Well, like you said in the, in the introduction, my own genealogy took me back to the very beginning of the slave trade. I was um, researching my, one of my family lines, the Spearin line, and I was able to use DNA to break through one of my brick walls in 1800, and I was able to jump back to the early 1700s, the late 1600s. 
And that got me interested in this particular spear in the family. Um, and there was a big uh, discussion about whether or not they came over with Cromwell, who, of course, uh, invaded Ireland in 1649, conquered it over the next 10 years, uh, and a lot of Irish were taken up as uh, slaves and sent to the West Indies. Uh, at least that's what some of the uh, books that I read um, talked about. So that's really how I got involved, because I never really uh, knew that some of the Irish were sent as slaves to the, the West Indies. And I thought this was a, a topic that not a lot of Irish people knew about, so I thought this would be a very important area of research to undertake. And when I saw that there wasn't really very much written about it, I thought we really need to do a lot more research in this area. And that's why I set up um, a specific website uh, and a project to try and further elucidate just exactly um, what happened to these Irish slaves that were sent over to the West Indies. And then extending on from that, what was Ireland's involvement in the transatlantic slave trade? Because, of course, Ireland was part of Great Britain at that point in time. And being part of uh, Britain, it would have been involved in some way in the slave trade. So that's how my interest started off, really. Right. And, and it's so interesting that you would mention that they were taken to the West Indies. So just tell us, well, how, where did they take the transported Irish? I mean, and how did they take the transported Irish and why? Well, back in those days, the West Indies referred not just to the Caribbean, but also to the new American colonies of Virginia, Maryland, and the Carolinas. So the West Indies was a much more general term back then, uh, rather than the more specific term that we use now, referring just to the Caribbean islands. But um, the Irish would have been transported largely to Barbados, but also to uh, Virginia, Maryland, and the Carolinas. And um, they were not the only ones to be transported as so-called slaves. Uh, the English were transported as slaves, and so were the Scottish, because Cromwell was fighting uh, with the Scots as well as the Irish. And <clears throat> we know, and we have actually documentary evidence that some of the Scots were transported to the West Indies. Uh, the reason why the English were transported to the West Indies was because there was a policy of cleaning the vagabonds off the streets, cleaning the beggars off the streets. So we have the unusual situation where in the early days of the colonization of the Caribbean and the Americas, that not only were um, African people sent over, but so were Irish, English and Scottish people sent to the Caribbean, which is really quite unusual. Yes, yes, it certainly is unusual. Now, when the Irish were transported, just tell us, were they, were they transported for life, or what status did they have once they were transported? Well, it's, it's interesting, really, because uh, from what I've read, and there's a very good book on the subject by Sean O'Callaghan called To Hell or Barbados, um, and in this book he describes how uh, a lot of the Irish soldiers who were fighting against Cromwell, they were rounded up, they were captured, they were military prisoners. Now, the English did not want to send these people to the colonies because being soldiers, they might cause a rebellion, cause trouble. So they actually exiled the men to any country in Europe that is not at war with England. So as a result of that, all of the, the men were sent off to, um, to Europe, uh, leaving their wives abandoned behind them and their children. So apparently what happened was the women and the children were rounded up. They were brought down to Cork, uh, which is in the southern part of Ireland. They were then shipped across to Bristol uh, in England, and then they left on boats from Bristol all the way across the Atlantic Ocean to the West Indies, mainly Barbados, Virginia, Carolinas, and Maryland. That's what apparently happened. Now, they, according to O'Callaghan, they would have been interspersed among the African slaves so that the Irish could not talk to each other. Um, hmm. And, yeah, that's, it's quite unusual. And there are reports that they were treated worse than the African slaves. 
and many of them, of course, did not cope with the tropical climate of the, of the West Indies, and they died very quickly. So in that sense, they could be considered slaves for life because their lives were fairly short. But if you were to ask me the question, was there a systematic policy of enslaving Irish people for life, I would probably have to say no. I have, there might be isolated cases, but I don't think the Irish suffered the same type of systematic policy that was applied to African peoples um, during the, the period of the slave trade. So uh, a lot of research still needs to be done, and I think a lot of the records are available in the Caribbean. And this is what Callahan did when he wrote his book. He went over to Barbados. He spent a lot of time uh, researching the archives. But unfortunately, being a journalist rather than a scientist, he didn't reference his sources. So somebody needs to go back and look at O'Callaghan's book and see where he got his sources from. And that's something that I'm hoping that a group of us will be able to do in the next couple of years. Oh, that would be wonderful, simply because it would certainly give us more information, information that genealogists are are seeking. We definitely want to follow up on the sources that he has mentioned in his book, at least to, to follow up to uh, just to determine the accuracy of some of the information that's presented in the book. Absolutely, well, absolutely. We need accurate information, and there are so many inaccuracies circulating on the Internet especially. So uh, especially with regards to this topic, you have to take everything you read on the Internet with a pinch of salt because a lot of it is not referenced. And some of the, some of the claims that I've read on the Internet I think are just urban myths. Um, I've done some researching of some of these myths, uh, but apparently they, are, they have no basis in fact. So we do have to be really, really careful when we are just reading something on the internet, it is not necessarily the truth. Well, why don't you give us an example of a, a few of the urban myths that you have found to not be true? Sure. Well, there was one that I came across that I started making some uh, inquiries about, and that was the fact that in 1681, according to this uh, myth, um, a law was passed banning the interbreeding of Irish women with African men um, because it was causing too much of a dent in the economic, um, the econ economy of the slave trade. Slavers were complaining that they weren't able to sell as many slaves because the people in the West Indies were breeding their own slaves. And I thought that that was a, a quite a shocking uh, discovery. So I... Uh, wrote to the English uh, Parliament and asked them what was the law that was passed in 1681 and could I get a copy of it. And they said um, that there wasn't any law passed in 1681, uh, certainly not in the English Parliament. Um, there may have been a law passed in the Privy Chamber, and that's something that I still need to follow up to see if there was anything there uh, in 1681 that related to this specific um, uh, statement that was made on the internet but as far as I can see and I have asked various people including a number of researchers if they can find it nothing exists about a 1681 act banning the breeding of Irish women with African men so that's just an example of how you do have to be really careful about interpreting some of the statements that you see on the internet Yes, indeed. Well, there already the chatters are chatting, and so I do have a question coming out of the chat room, and this is from sure. Angela. And Angela would like to know, is there much known about the experience of the people from Ireland? For example, were families separated, such as those in the United States? Did whippings occur, or was literacy forbidden, such as it was in the U.S.? Uh, very, very good question. Um, the, it, I think the, the answer to that is that um, in the Irish in the early days were involved in the early days of the slave trade. So we're talking about the latter half of the 1600s, uh, possibly the early part of the 1700s. But the Irish, because they were so well, so, so um, they weren't able to stand the tropical heat of the Caribbean and the West Indies, 
they were quickly replaced by African people coming over to do the same kind of work. So the systematic development of slavery applied uh, more to the African peoples than to the Irish peoples. So they didn't have the same kind of experience as African peoples did. Uh, slavery, most of the slaves came over from, from Africa in the 1700s, about 52% of um, all slaves came over during the 1700s, and about 28% of slaves came over in the first seven years of the 1800s. Um, before the abolition of, of the slave trade in 1807. So it was a very different experience for the Irish, and it was a very early experience for the Irish. So I think that's a very important distinction between the two. Um, O'Callaghan does talk in his book of how the Irish were subjected in those early years, so the 1600s, early 1700s, how they were subjected to similar atrocities and abuses as the Africans. Um, there would have been whippings, there would have been um, punishment by death for insurrections. And in places like Barbados, for example, um, Irish and the African people got together to rebel uh, together as a team against their masters. So um, that was the early years of, the, of slavery. Uh, as far as families being separated, the Irish would have been separated from their families in Ireland. Um, uh, and like I say, the, the men would have gone one way, the, the women would have gone another way. Um, so I hope that answers Angela's question. Yes, it does. So why don't you uh, tell us more about how did the Irish interact with the African population? Well, uh, like I say, according to O'Callaghan, the Irish in Barbados were interspersed among the African population. Uh, they worked alongside them. According to O'Callaghan, they were in shackles too. So uh, they were treated just as badly as the Africans uh, in Barbados. That's on one hand. Uh, on the other hand, of course, as time went on and we move into the 1700s and even into the 1800s, the Irish turned from being slaves to being slave owners because the Irish that were left in Ireland, uh, they too were involved in the slave trade and uh, a lot of them became slave owners in their own right. Um, uh, Montserrat comes to mind. Uh, this is a, the so-called Emerald Isle of the Caribbean. And the reason why it's called the Emerald Isle of the Caribbean is because they are very proud of their Irish heritage. If you arrive on Montserrat, you'll see a big sign saying 100,000 welcomes, and you'll see shamrocks in the windows of the, of the houses and the bars, and they have um, Erin, the symbol of Ireland, playing her harp on the national flag. Uh, so there's a lot of Irish influence in, in Montserrat. And they celebrate St. Patrick's Day for an entire week. But the reason why they celebrate St. Patrick's Day for a whole week is because this was to mark the slave rebellion against their Irish masters uh, sometime in the 1700s. I don't recall the exact year. But what happened was um, the, the slaves said to themselves, when are the Irish likely to be most drunk? And they came to the conclusion it would be on St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Day. So that's when they planned the rebellion. A rebellion was planned for St. Patrick's Day. Unfortunately, one of their number gave the game away, and the rebellion was put down, and the slaves were killed and made examples of. And so that's an example of how the slaves rebelled against the Irish. So I think it's a fascinating area of research because you see so many different types of interaction between the Irish and the African populations. Sometimes it was cordial, sometimes they were collaborating together, and at times they were at loggerheads and they were fighting each other. So um, it, it, you see the whole realm of social interactions there. You, you certainly do. Now, I have, a, I have someone on the line with a question, and I have a question coming out of the chat. So I'm going to take the person on the line with a question, okay. area code 972. Do you have a question or a comment? 
Uh, yes, thank you, Bernice. Thank you, Dr. Gleason. I'm tuning in a little late, so this um, may have already been addressed, but I have two uh, questions. Um, the the first um, was, would you say again why Irish people, what what started, what uh, the enslavement of the Irish? And then uh, secondly, uh, I have, through my DNA, have um, uh, information saying that I'm matching people from Ireland and Great Britain. And through... Um, oral history, I'm also connected to actually a great-great-grandparent um, whom I believe is of Irish descent, who's a note, noted historical figure, and I'm wondering how, I, what suggestions you might have to help me to be able to, um, to link myself with that person more clearly. Sure, okay. well, that's a that's a great great question. Um, well, the, the the first question about how the Irish were transported, uh, we've spoke previously about how uh, when Cromwell came into Ireland uh, between 1649 and 1653, he he decimated the place. He, he had a, a burnt uh, scorched earth policy. So as he went from town to town, um, capturing the towns, killing the the uh, people there he would burn the crops. So the famine and plague and disease swept through Ireland. He captured the soldiers, and they were military prisoners. He sent most of the soldiers off to Europe, where they were told uh, you can fight for, you can go to any European country that is not at war with England. So that's the men were, were got rid of that way. But then the, the abandoned wives, the women, and their children he rounded them up and transported them to the West Indies. And if you, you see in my presentation that I gave at the Southern California Genealogical Society over the weekend, um, which is available on YouTube, we'll give you the details later on, uh, you'll see some of the documents relating to, uh, we need more Irish children over in the West Indies, please send over 400, please send over 1,000. So uh, the second way, was that they got the vagabonds and the beggars off the street. So they wanted to get rid of these abandoned children, these vagabond children begging on the street, and they used that as an excuse for rounding them up and sending them off to the West Indies and the new American colonies. Now, these particular children would have been without indentures, so they would have been involuntary servants. And when they arrived in, in uh, America and in Barbados, they would have been sent to the local county courthouse where their age would be judged so that they uh, would be given a limited uh, time of servitude. For example, if you were more than 20 years old, you'd serve for four years. If you were um, over 16 years old, you might serve for seven years, that type of thing. So that was the second way that the Irish came over as non-indentured uh, laborers, as forced labor. Um, and throughout the 1600s, the early 1700s, there would have been other instances where um, an atrocity would have been committed or uh, some soldier, British soldiers would have been killed and a whole village might have been uh, captured as compensation and the whole village was sent over to uh, to Barbados, and that happened, for example, in the village of um, Laca in County Kildare, and there's a nice plaque on the wall of the church uh, describing how in 1655 Henry Fitzgerald, aged 80, and his entire family were transported to Barbados um, uh, as a punishment for the killing of two English soldiers. So, all throughout the years, the Irish have uh, been sent over to the West Indies, not in the same numbers at all as uh, the African population, but um, uh, depending on who you read, it could be a few thousand people, it could be 50,000 people, it could be 130,000 people, and I've even seen higher estimates as well. But O'Callaghan, in his book, To Hell or Barbados, he settles on the figure of about 50,000. And if you take into account that the population of Ireland 
was about 1.5 million in 1649. This could be as high as 4% of the population. So it really is quite um, an astounding figure. So that is how the Irish got over to the West Indies. Um, in terms of the, the DNA question and the fact that you have um, a great-great-grandparent who is of uh, Irish origin, to try, or, to try to confirm that, there's various things you could do. You could do an autosomal DNA test, um, and that is offered by a variety of different companies. 23andMe offer the test Family Tree DNA and also Ancestry DNA. All of these offer this test. Um, it's not done quite the same by each company, but also the database that they have is different in each company. So if you really wanted to uh, go for broke, you could actually do all three, all three companies. But um, if you were just doing a starter test, the best one to do might be 23andMe um, because it's $99 and you get your father's 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 line, your mother's 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 line, and the autosomal DNA covers everything in between. So you get three tests for the price of one. Um, the other way to do it would be to try and find a direct male descendant, a direct male line descendant of this um, grandparent and uh, test their Y DNA. And the best place to do that would be family tree DNA. And you would find then perhaps that uh, uh, you might be able to match that direct male line descendant. Does that answer the question? I have done the 23andMe DNA. Uh, I don't know if it's the autosomal. I, I'm not certain. Um, it would be yes. And the 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 difficulty is that um um the, this grandparent did did not um um support my grandmother. Uh there was no connection. This was just a famous person who impregnated a a 13-year-old girl who was um a servant and um However, um, I was astounded when um, I compared that person's photograph with my grandmother's photograph mm -hmm. because the resemblance was striking to me. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and and what I was also what I've read about him is my understanding that at least legitimate children he supposedly did not have any biological natural biological children uh, um but um he married someone that had children so mm -hmm. that may you know and and of course for me it's difficult to take that information to the bank when i know you know my grandmother was a descendant and it was sure. oral history that would not have it, it just happened that i asked the question about who my grandmother's biological father was and I was given some information and and had I not done that this information would not be available to any of me or my cousins or my siblings so sure. you know so it is a bit of a struggle but I'm you know I believe that if my grandmother uh, was a descendant of, of his then there must have been others given sure. his behavior <laughs> So indeed, okay, indeed. Well, thank you very much. All right. Okay. Yeah. We're thank going you. To, we're going to take a quick break because we have some questions coming out of the chat. Plus, we want to continue to talk about the role that the Irish played in the transatlantic trade uh, itself. And so just a quick break with a little sweet smell of spice, and we'll be back shortly. <laughs> thank you.
welcome back to Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander-Bennett, and you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, where I will have an expert to share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy questions. Remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded through Blog Talk Radio and iTunes. And you can also find the archive shows on my website, geniebroots.com. Well, you have been listening to Dr. Morris Gleason discuss Ireland and the slave trade. And so I want to just continue this discussion because one of the big questions is what role did the Irish play in the transatlantic trade itself? And then where the Irish ever slave, were they ever slave owners? And this is a question also in the, in the chat. Were they ever slave owners? Oh, definitely, yes, absolutely, the Irish were. Um, and just before I come on to that, just to come back to what Angela was saying and just to say to Angela, uh, you could also trace your great-grandfather's line further back and see if he had any uh, uh, brothers who had living children today and try and find them and get them to test. They would be your third cousins and they would show up on 23andMe. So that was just a, a quick uh, reply to Angela's question. But yes, the Irish were, were, were they occupied every single level of, on the social, um, the, every kind of social role within slavery. They were slavers. Um, they, uh, for example, William Ronan uh, was in the Royal uh, Africa Corps and he operated in Ghana. Uh, Antoine Walsh transported 12,000 slaves across uh, the Atlantic to Martinique, Guadeloupe, and Saint-Domingue, which later became Haiti. Uh, there was a group of Reardon brothers uh, based in, in France who had 11 expeditions from Africa to the West Indies, and they brought over 3,000 slaves. And then the Roach family from Limerick brought over 3,000 slaves as well. So the Irish were slavers. They also owned slave ships. So, for example, some of the slave ship owners in Bristol in the 1760s had names like Callaghan, Teague, Coughlin, Connor, very Irish names, and they were slave merchants in Liverpool. Uh, so, for example, uh, we have names like Doran, Butler, Ryan, Magoli, and Tui. So, um, they, they were very, very much involved in the slave trade themselves as slave owners, as slave merchants, and as slave traders and also as sailors, about 12% of the sailors on slave ships were of Irish origin. Most of them were English, but 12% of them were Irish, and they may very well have sexually exploited uh, the women on those slave ships as well. So uh, to answer the, the, the short answer to the question is, yes, the Irish were slave owners. Um, there's also a very interesting database that came out last year, and I mentioned it in my talk uh, over the weekend, uh, and that is the legacies of the British legacies of slave ownership. And that is a website that's available from the University College London, and it talks about the 55,000 claims for compensation that were made in 1833 when Britain abolished the slave trade. And you will find a database of all of the slave owners. Uh, in, in the Caribbean at that time. So it's a very, very interesting and useful database to explore. Oh, that would. Could you give us the website for that database? Yes, sure. It is www.ucl.ac.uk slash lbs slash search. And that will take you to Legacies of British Slave Ownership at the UCL website. Okay, so let me just, just repeat that just to make certain sure. that we have it. www.ucl.uk slash lbs slash search. No, it's ucl.ac.uk slash lbs 
slash search. Okay. All righty. Okay, we'll get that posted. Okay, you were going to censor. Yeah, no, this, the the great thing about this particular website that it is the first of, um, this is the first of uh, a project that is going to go on. This is the first database relating to, um, the second part of this project is called Structure and Significance of British Caribbean Slave Ownership. Uh, 1763 to 1833 and the second part of the project will actually give a lot more information about the slaves themselves who they were um, what kind of uh, circumstances they were in so that is going to appear sometime in 2015 and just to give you an idea of the enormity of this database currently it has 55,000 records Oh, wow. Oh, this is fantastic. So, it's a godsend, really. This will help uh, explode research in this area. Yes, it will. It, it, certainly, it certainly will. Now, you know, the, the caller, and, and she said her name was Barbara, she mentioned uh, DNA, and a lot of people have mixed Irish and African ancestry. I mean, I even have it. And, and we see this in, in DNA testing. Tell us more about the ways that this mixed ancestry took place. Sure. Well, the obvious, of various... course, but then tell us more. <laughs> sure. Well, it happened in a variety of different ways, really. Um, when you, you know, obviously if the Irish were slave owners, then they were uh, exploiting people as well. Uh, so there would have been some Irish involved in sexual exploitation of women. Um, uh, there was a breeding policy in America. I don't know if it happened to the same extent in the Caribbean, um, but if it did happen, then many of the Irish uh, are, were overseas, overseers on these plantations. And, of course, the overseers could be very, very brutal. Um, so because they were Irish, that's one way that Irish DNA may have got into the general uh, gene pool. Um, The other possibility is the Irish were probably less frequently absentee landlords. So they would maybe have tended to stay in the colonies themselves rather than leaving the plantations to the attention of other people. So that's another way that uh, Irish DNA may have got into the gene pool. But then, of course, one has to remember that uh, throughout the history of, of, of America, certainly, the Irish and Africans were very close to each other on the social ladder. Uh, the Irish, in many ways, were treated as second-class citizens, and so they were frequently just one mm-hmm. rung above the African population. Um, and there are, are many instances of how uh, the Irish and the Africans uh, cooperated with each other. There's many other instances of how they were competing for jobs, and there was a lot of antagonism between the two communities. But the proximity of these two communities to each other uh, may have um, facilitated interbreeding between Irish and African people. Um, if you look at um, Muhammad Ali's uh, genealogy, you find that um, his, I believe it was his great-great-grandmother, um, about 15 years after the abolition of slavery in the U.S., so that would have been about the 1880s or so, uh, she got married to an Irish man in the 1880s. Uh, so the Irish married freed uh, African people as well. So that's another way that uh, the Irish and African mixture could have taken place. And the other possibility, of course, is that uh, when African people came over to America, uh, they lost their names. Their names were taken from them, and they were replaced frequently with the name of their plantation owner. So that's the third way that the Irish surname may have been passed down through the generations in that the uh, African person was named after the slave master, the slave owner. Okay, now there's a, a, a question coming out of the ch- uh, chat. Is there much research being done to connect the descendants of the Irish slave to the people of color in either Barbados or other places? <laughs> Very and, good question. Uh, there's a, and there's a second part to this question. 
Is there mm-hmm. an acknowledgement of Irish folks and Masteret, and I hope I'm pronouncing it correct, are Barbados of their black cousins? Oh, uh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, there is an acknowledgement uh, in Montserrat uh, about the Afri- the shared African Irish heritage. In fact, um, I was over in Montserrat last March, just after St. Patrick's Day, and the festivities had just finished. But they had um, what they're moving more towards now is a joint celebration of Irish and African heritage. So uh, there's a lot of festivity focused around the Irish um, influence on the culture of Montserrat, but they also uh, are uh, combining it with a, an African roots festival as well. So this year, for example, they had uh, musicians from uh, Senegal, from uh, Africa, coming over and performing on the island, and they met with a huge uh, warm welcome uh, and went down extremely well with the population. Um, I have spoken to several people in Montserrat, several people with both African and Irish heritage, and they seem to be equally proud of both. So um, it's it's a very interesting uh, scenario in, in Montserrat because of the, the, the huge influence that the Irish have had on that particular island. But, you know, like we covered previously, uh, the Irish were slave owners there as, uh, as well as religious refugees. So the, the history has, um, has an uncomfortable juxtaposition with exploitation as well as the exploited. It's interesting. Yes. It, 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 it is quite interesting. Quite. Now, what... What would you say to someone if they uh, indeed found out that they have uh, Irish ancestry or they are of European ancestry and they've discovered that they have um, uh, black DNA cousins? Well, um, apparently 4% of Americans who believe themselves to be white have African DNA. Um, about 4% of white Americans have somewhere between half a percent and three quarters of a percent of African DNA. And even when I tested my own DNA, it came back as 99.8% Irish, but 0.1% Sub-Saharan African. Now, I was thinking that maybe this is a lab error, but um, some people I spoke to over the weekend say that, no, it's, it's, probably, it's probably accurate, which I find absolutely fascinating. Because what it implies is that somewhere in my genealogy, I have an African man or an African woman. And I would love to find out who they are. Um, So the search is on. Um, Likewise, if if somebody with largely African heritage uh, had both Irish and African uh, ancestry, I think there's various ways that you can actually... uh, so various routes you can go down to try and explore that, um, okay. both from a traditional genealogical point of view and from a genetic genealogical point of view. So I guess if you were exploring the Irish side, you could uh, I think the, the lecture that I gave on, on Saturday at the Southern California Genealogical Society, which is available on YouTube, would be a very good place to start. Um, I think just start with your surname, your Irish surname. And there's a variety of uh, surname dictionaries that will tell you the meaning of your Irish surname and probably give you a location for where it may have come from. The second thing that you can do is you can look up surname distribution maps and find out where in Ireland your surname occurs most commonly. And that might give you an indication of where in Ireland your particular surname has come from. Is that something you've done yourself, Bernice? I know that you have uh, a couple of Irish surnames. Yes, I do. I mean, I know one one particular place is Donegal, All right. Ireland. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And so, okay. I mean, I know that one, but I haven't looked at all of the different names. Now, I'm having some names that are put into <laughs> the chat, so let me just throw them out to you. McDonald, sure. McMurphy, Murphy, Walsh, Schmidt, and on and on and on. Uh, oh wow! It, <laughs> yes. So uh, everyone, I guess they have a, a challenge to just start looking up their surnames, and if and you're saying that geographically you may be able to pinpoint exactly where in Ireland that particular 
surname is concentrated? Uh, well, pinpoints might be a little bit too optimistic, but it's certainly <laughs> uh, with the surname, with the surname dictionaries and the surname distribution maps, you should be able to see where in Ireland uh, your ancestors probably originated way, way back, say a thousand years ago or so. Um, now, of course, they may have moved from there, they may have spread to other places in Ireland, but at least it gives you a place to start looking for your Irish ancestors. And the other thing you can do is you can ask for help. There is a free service that is run by volunteers called Ireland Reaching Out. And they oh. have volunteers in every parish in Ireland. It is completely free. You just ask the, 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 the person in the parish where you think your ancestors came from, and they will do their best to try and find some data for you. So that's Ireland Reaching Out, or Ireland XO, as it's called. That's a capital X, capital O, and that's a very good service. So that might be useful as well. And then, of course, there's a variety of Facebook pages and Facebook groups where you could pose questions. Um, I think there are about 15 uh, Facebook groups for each of the counties in Ireland, but there's also an Irish genealogy general uh, Facebook group that you can pose the question in. So there's a lot of support out there, and I think the chances are quite um, good that you might be able to find out where in Ireland your ancestors are likely to have come from. However, when, I mean, you're, you're saying, you know, pinpoint where they're more likely to have come from, but will we also hit this, this crazy brick wall where we just can't mm. find any documentation? Absolutely, and, and it's the same in Ireland as well. I think a lot of African Americans will actually hit the brick wall around about 1863, 1870. Um, a lot of Irish will hit the brick wall somewhere between 1800 and 1830. Uh, because there is a lack of records before that time. Now, mm -hmm. this is where the DNA testing can help, because with the lack of records, sometimes we have to just fall back on DNA to help point us in the right direction. You know, especially if you've got a common surname like Murphy or Walsh, uh, mm -hmm. then DNA might be more of a, a, a certainly an essential tool, an additional tool for your toolbox. Um, and certainly I've used DNA uh, successfully to find cousins in Australia who disappeared in 1886. Um, and I think the same will hold true for people of um, African-American uh, ancestry who have Irish ancestry as well, that using DNA will also help connect them with their Irish cousins who are still living in Ireland today or who are living in America today. Uh, so the Irish-American community has tested quite extensively um, with their DNA, and um, myself and a few other uh, colleagues are trying to get the Irish on the ground in Ireland to do DNA testing, mm -hmm. and uh, we've already sold 150 DNA kits in the last year. So the Irish are beginning to test, and the more Irish that test, the greater your chances of having a match on your DNA with an Irish person living in Ireland today. Your genetic well, how yes, and uh, have you even engaged in the conversation with the Irish about their African uh, links that they may find once they have tested, the, and I, that perhaps they a, may have heard from cousins uh, from across the waters? Well, I gave a lecture at the National Library of Ireland uh, last year. Actually, it was in 20, 2013, March 2013. And that uh, got a lot of attention. Um, certainly the connection with Montserrat was in the newspapers last year. And I was interviewed for um, the Sunday Times supplement. And that achieved a, a lot of a, a attention. It also generated a lot of conversation on the blogs. Um, there is a group of people in Montserrat who are um, a group of singers. It's like a choir. They visited Ireland last year. And they toured the country, and they got a wonderful reception. Uh, also, several Irish journalists went over to Montserrat, and they've now done several radio documentaries on Montserrat, which are very interesting to hear. Uh, so the message is getting out there, and I think also because of O'Callaghan's book, which has proved immensely popular in Ireland, more and more people are becoming aware 
of um, the fact that Ireland was there at the very beginning of the slave trade. I think what is probably less widely known is Ireland's uh, involvement as uh, an exploiter in the slave trade, but that is something that is going to change over the course of the next several years as well. Yes, indeed, and it's and it's just great. I mean, at least you're getting the word out. People are starting to talk. Yeah. Uh, now, there's a, a just a comment coming out of the chat, and and again, this is from Angela. Uh, because uh, our approach is one rooted in slavery, so if we have matches, can we bypass the roadblocks that slavery presented and still connect? to the Irish or UK locality since DNA might be a key? We can. Um, There are some very interesting studies going on. I think what Angela is asking is can we more accurately pinpoint where in Ireland or the UK our ancestors came from? I think that's what she's saying. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, In that case, the answer is yes. Uh, and you can do it either via Y-DNA testing or via autosomal DNA testing. Now, we're not quite there yet, but, for example, if you're a man and you do your Y-DNA test and only men can do the Y-DNA test because they have the Y chromosome, women do not have the Y chromosome, but that will take us back along your father's 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 line. Now, that goes back to an Irish man as it does in many cases uh, of of men in the African-American community. Uh, For example, Professor Henry Louis Gates, his father's 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 line goes back to uh, more more than likely an Irish man. He's got um, the Nile of the Nine hostages uh, genetic signature. So in all likelihood, his goes back to an Irish man. And I think many African-Americans will have this. But using that Y-DNA it is possible to enhance your surname distribution mapping experience by matching the surnames that appear in your list uh, against each other. And the point where there is the greatest overlap between all of the various surnames in your Y-DNA results, that would be the place to start looking for documentary evidence for your um, Irish ancestor. So it's the Y-DNA can help in that regard. Now, the autosomal DNA can also help. And in a few years' time, we will see the full results of the People of the British Isles project. Now, this will be available for Britain in the next 12 to 18 months, and it will be available for Ireland probably within the next five years. But ultimately, you will be able to take an autosomal DNA test, compare your DNA results against the database of results in the People of the British Isles project, and it will give you an estimate of uh, what percentage of your DNA came in Britain. And there's 29 different places that they've identified so far that have a unique genetic signature. So it will be possible to use autosomal DNA to help locate where in Great Britain and where in Ireland, your Irish and British ancestors may have come from. Right. Well, when you when you speak of that, and I just want you, because so many of us have taken the autosomal test, and so sure. we can see that there are varying um, European haplogroups, but what specific haplogroup should we look for to determine our, our Irish ancestry Connection, since we we can see that they're being put into the uh, the, the database when you get it, you see a, a, a haplogroup in there. Sure, um, autosomal DNA is not going to be there for a while. Uh, certainly not for the next uh, twelve to eighteen months for Britain, and not for the next five years or so for Ireland. Um, And that might be an optimistic, it might be five to ten years for Ireland. But the technology is there, and it certainly will be possible to use your autosomal DNA to try and pinpoint exactly where you come from. Now, the haplogroups are not related to the autosomal DNA. The haplogroups are related to the Y DNA. 
You can also have them with mitochondrial DNA, which is your mother's 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 line, but the haplogroups refer largely to the Y DNA, which is your father's 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 line. And there is a huge number of um, additional markers have been discovered in the last couple of years, which means that in the next one to two years, we will be able to use Y DNA to pinpoint where in Ireland and where in Britain your ancestors are likely to have come from. Because with these additional markers, we can get down to the finer and finer and finer branches of the human Y DNA tree. And over the course of the next uh, one to three years, we should be able to um, find out which of these finer branches you uh, are located on and where in Britain or Ireland that particular uh, marker is most prevalent. So hopefully that will allow us to pinpoint more accurately what location our ancestors uh, came from. Now there are a couple of caveats with that, but uh, that is certainly the hope. And uh, watch this space for the next couple of years and we will begin to see some major changes and advances. Okay, and then there's a question coming out of the chat. Is there anything like Ireland reaching out in the UK? Ah, I don't think so. Um, I think the, the recession hit Ireland so badly, they wanted to have some way of getting the diaspora back to come and spend a little money in the old country. So um, uh, it was very much an Irish um, initiative. But having said that, uh, there are a lot of Facebook groups dealing with genealogy within the UK. There's a lot of local family history societies. If you contact them, then they should be able to help. So the volunteers are still out there. You just have to find them in uh, more um, inventive ways. Okay. And so I, we're getting close to the end of the show, and sure. do you have any any parting words you would like to share before we close out today? Um, well, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting, and I hope that uh, it's been of some use to people researching their Irish and African ancestry. Um, the, the talks that I gave over the weekend to the Southern California Genealogical Society are available online, and uh, you just have to go to my blog, which is DNA and Family Tree Research, as one word, .blogspot.com. And on the right-hand side, you'll see a little tab saying Presentations and Downloads, and you will find my presentations in there. Uh, there's one specifically on Ireland and the slave trade. There's another one about researching your Irish ancestry online and at minimal cost. And I think those two would be of particular use to people who are actively involved in researching their Irish and African ancestry. Uh, so that's just uh, for the listeners. Um, for you, Bernice, thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. And um, I would love to come back at some stage in the future and give you and your listeners an update on the research that is going on in this area. Well, I would love to have you come back, and thank you so much for taking time. I know you're a little bit on vacation now, but <laughs> keep in touch. Keep in touch. You have certainly provided us with a wealth of information. So thank you so very much for joining us today. And I want thank everybody you, to, yes, to remember your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history family records, and research at the National Archives and beyond. You can continue this discussion on the research at the National Archives and beyond and the Afrogenius.com Facebook pages. And also remember to listen to the African Roots podcast with Angela Walton Raji on Friday morning and Nurturing Our Roots with Antoinette Harrell on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. And also, I just want you to know, I am having a show this Thursday night with Dr. Shelley Murphy. And guess what she's talking about? So what? So you found that document. What does it mean? 
So we're going to explore how to really tease out the information that you're seeking about your ancestors. So thank you so much for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond, Blog Talk Radio. This show is sponsored by your host, me, Bernice Bennett, BB's Genealogy and Educational Services, LLC, and my website is www.geniebroots.com. Thank you so much, and have a great day, everyone. Bye-bye.